Hi, welcome. This is Dr. John Martini. This is one of the most amazing and inspiring shows that you can listen into. If you want to be on the edge of your seats, if you want to open up your heart, if you want to expand your mind, and you want to meet incredible people, stay tuned because you're just about to experience a transformative radio show that will change your life. And you're listening to the Dr. Pat Show is coming up right next. The following audio is via a Skype call. Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. Talk radio to thrive by. Powerful, inspiring, and coming to you live, bringing you stories of people like you and me, busting through and living life full out. Get ready to dare to wonder what your life would be like if you knew you could not fail. Hey, everybody. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. And I apologize for the late start. Uh, Mercury probably is still hanging out in retrograde here and there, but I got you because I've got you on my phone. Today's show is more than important to me. Uh, Benny, let me give you a shout out. Thank you for your patience today, Mr. Benny. Oh, not a problem, Pat. Welcome. And uh, it's a great day we got in store for us yet again. Yeah, doggy. Um, yesterday, you all probably heard me talk about the history of my family. Um, a mom that you know, I found out later in life uh, was addicted to barbiturates, prescription drugs, thanks to Dr. Jacoby. Um, also alcohol associated with that. Um, tried to commit suicide, one attempt. Uh, and failed, and the second attempt lit the house on fire. And, you know, I, I talked a little bit about the history of my family. Um, I talked about the fact that several years ago, I pretty much lost my last sister, who had a lifetime and a history of not just addiction and cocaine and but also herself and her former husband were in the business. Um, I had another sister that was also part of the addiction trail, uh, alcoholic trail, lost her children first time around. Uh, had a, um, a, a third sister who was my birth sister, 20, 12 years older than me and um, passed away on the floor, uh, hospital floor. And so today's conversation is more than important to me. My own journey, my own struggles uh, get summed up pretty well by Nicholas Bush. And it gets summed up pretty, pretty well um, in, in his book, One by One. Now, I want to just talk about this because this is a big show today. And it's, um, it's such a big show that in our redesign of our network, we have been asked by various addiction and recovery centers in our redesign of our technology, would we mind considering dedicating a channel to helping people understand the journey, the outcome, the blessings, and the action? Today, this is a memoir of love and loss in the shadows of opioid addiction. And so we want to take you on this journey, not just about loss, but about what it is we should know, what the journey is like, how this can become a life-turning story of hope and action, 
and looking at the true spirit of this Christmas and this holiday season. Nicholas is joining me here today, uh, someone that has gone down the path of drug addiction and now is devoted to helping people not just battle addiction in halfway houses and prisons, but he is somebody that is speaking out and speaking out in the world. One of the things that I know about from his, his growing up in Wisconsin, and as a matter of fact, Wisconsin is in dire straits of losing some of the funding for um, Medicaid. One of the things I know is that we are here today and talking about this because it is a conversation that we are just not having in a big way. Nicholas, great to have you. Thanks so much for having me on, Dr. Patton. Um, I think you and I could probably spend the hour talking about our life's journey, our losses. You know, uh, I was homeless at 17, but I can tell you when all is said and done, the word gratitude does not express the feeling I have for my life. And service does not explain my commitment to helping, in my case, other women. Um, I want to ask you, it doesn't come easy to write a book like the book you have written. Many people may think it does, but there's no other choice you have than to write the book, right? I want to ask you, what is it about this story, this tale? What is it? in writing this, what about it has changed you? How have you changed since making the decision to tell your story? Wow. Yeah. Um, well, let me first just start by answering your question by saying that, um, you know, I want to thank you for sharing part of your story as well. That's something that's, um, I've, t- I've talked to a lot of people in the recovery community and just abroad and, and our stories are very similar Dr. Pat, and that's really mm-hmm. unfortunate. And in writing the book, um, I want to bring that gratitude that you just mentioned, because you're right, the life we get to live now, like every day, is, you know, it sounds corny, but it's such a blessing. You know, I had a, I had a baby just last night, and I can't even, you, you said it the best, I, I can't even uh, express the gratitude that I have uh, right now. And, and in sharing my story, it's like, man, it just brings me so much more than um, than gratitude. It's like just an overflowing, you know, um, in, mm-hmm. in, in, in walking this spiritual recovery journey. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about, today we're going to talk about your journey, your journey, your spirituality, your relationship with God, my relationship with God. You know, but I want to start at the beginning because often we don't talk about our beginnings unless we're behind closed doors of maybe a meeting or with a therapist. But, you know, the people that are going through this and going through this journey don't often talk about it. And so we have almost a seductive sense when we say the opioid uh, crisis. Uh, I got to tell you, maybe you're not going to agree with me. But back in the day, I'm I'm older than you, just saying. But back in the day, the thing that scared the uh, you-know-what out of us was not the word opioid. That is like such... The thing that scared us was the word heroin. Right, right. 
Right. What have we done? Why aren't we calling this what it is? But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have you hold that question because that's part of what we're going to talk about. It's not just the evolution of where we are and the crisis we are, but it's the evolution of how this has now taken over a country and countries around the world, not just in isolated populations, right? Not just in the ghettos, but people of all ages, of all colors, of all races and all religions. Where did the story begin for you, Nicholas? My story of addiction uh, really just, it begins um, like so many other people just experimenting, wanting to have a good time. You know, recreational marijuana use, drinking, partying. You know, I'll admit it was a young age, uh, 14. But um, I soon discovered that myself, like I think all addicts, certainly many addicts, have triggers and vulnerabilities that we didn't even know about. And um, we find ourselves totally addicted and in over our heads before, you know, before it's too late, before we even know what hit us. Mm-hmm. And, you know, yeah. for me, mar- marijuana use was, uh, believe it or not, it was a daily thing at 14, like right away for me. I had a really rough childhood. Um, you know, there was abuse in the home. I found myself bouncing around to different homes a lot. And, uh, you know, I rebelled against uh, that, uh, that abuse, my abusive parents, and uh, pretty hard. And so things pretty snowballed for me uh, as a young teenager pretty quickly, pretty quickly. Um, ended up a heroin addict uh, maybe eight years later, um, about 21, 22. I lost my sister to a heroin overdose. She was a model in Europe at the time, a pre-med student as well, very bright. And, uh, you know, that just devastated our whole family. And um, believe it or not, the thing about addiction that's so crazy, I actually turned to the very thing that killed her, which was those opioids, uh, all kinds of them, like, Oxycon, synthetic Oxycon, all all different types, and um, <clears throat> I, I found myself doing, you know, heroin before long as well. And I had two near death experiences. I, I experienced uh, paralysis, um, disease. I, I went to jail five or six times for you know mm-hmm. drug offenses, and um, believe it or not, I actually did lose my brother as well to my sister and my brother, as you know we talked about when your show began. He passed away um, five years after our sister from, um, you know, it, it just spiraled down a trail that started with marijuana and, and went into all the, the opiates, the opioids, um, and it ended with heroin. As soon as it got into heroin, it just kind of killed him. And that's that's a really common uh, trajectory that I've found in, in working with, with addicts at, at rehab facilities and so forth. Yeah. And and it's a very commonsensical one if you're familiar with this population and with the dynamic of this. Right. I mean, let's just talk about it from what actually is going on out there. You know, back in the day and still today, one of the cheapest drugs you can get on the street. Right. At the time was heroin. And I don't think that's changed very much. Um, It now comes in a different form. I think growing up for us. We had this this vision, if we could, of the heroin addict in a dark alley with a needle in his or her arm. We have certainly now moved on to a different stage of this, where that doesn't have to necessarily be the path that somebody takes. It's way more accessible. But unless we truly tell the story that you're telling today, 
And we are talking about this, not just from the perspective of, yeah, we're now here and we're alive and we're grateful, but this could be you or your child. And these are the things you should know. Um, How was it that you or your family member, because let's talk about some of the things in the book. You know, I was surrounded with uh, a family of denial. I mean, it wasn't until decades later did I actually find out what really happened to my mom because she left a series of letters. Uh, I also found out that she probably was using those drugs and was getting regular prescriptions when she was carrying me. And, you know, we now fast forward to where we are. We've gotten a lot smarter. What are some of the the aspects of your journey that we need to make sure the world knows about? Sure. Well, just what you and I are doing right now, Dr. Pat, is is so key to really not just addicts, but their friends, their family, um, anyone who's affected by severe addiction, to find a recovery community, um, someone you can talk to, you know. Um, people mm-hmm. are afraid to, to say anything a lot of times because of the guilt and the shame, and, you know, they don't want to lose their job. They don't want to lose their their friends, their status, whatever. And um, there there are ways to find support, and that is so key for anyone who's going through um, recovery in any way. Anyone who's touched by uh, addiction and, and recovery needs to find, um, you know, deep relationships with uh, support supporters. And, um, you know, seek and you'll find is my experience when it comes to that. There are so many people out there who just want to help you. And, um, you know, people like you and I, Dr. Pat, are able to turn around and offer a helping hand once we receive help. And that's kind of how it works. And so that's it in a nutshell. The other thing I would say is there's definitely a spiritual component involved to the uh, addiction. And um, just, you know, just like life, um, spiritual, spiritual stuff is out there. It's real. And when it comes to this treating this disease, um, believe it or not, the spiritual component is, is very central to the way that, um, that these, uh, <laughs> the disease of addiction gets dealt with. Excuse me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think part of this too is, is that, you know, when we look at the roots of, let's just call it a drug habit, Right. Um, and we think and we go back to our childhood, for example. You know, I don't know about you, but I cannot think of a single person that I've worked with over time or a supported or someone in a homeless shelter that doesn't have a childhood that most people couldn't comprehend. Now, some are worse than others. But when we sit down and we hear each other's stories, right, you you know, the general population, if they were to hear some of the stories of what some of the the childhoods were like for what we now call drug addicts and alcoholics, they, they wouldn't really have a sense. It almost sounds like, how are these people even existing? But let's talk about that. Because, yeah, even in the wealthiest of families, there could be abuse. There could be things in the home. And right now, this addiction has no social economic status 
line that divides. This is something that is hitting every dimension of life. Isn't that what you found as well? Addiction certainly does not discriminate. Uh, it's it's a killer, and um, you know it's not limited to drugs for certain. But um, you know, I think we're getting more and more into um, the spiritual spiritual component, yep. and because you you know you touched on um, how people who are pretty well off, you know, struggle with with certain things. We're, we're seeing like celebrities and stuff who who you know commit suicide and things like that. It's like how are these people not happy and that applies to us like how are these people happy they've lost everything they've faced prison death they've lost loved ones you know they've had it so rough how are they um like wholesome human beings living you know what seems like a good life and, and here i am you know upset about my electric bill or whatever um and that's that's where that spiritual component comes in it really really is mm. I want to ask you, uh, this is really for many people, they probably wondering why we're talking about the spiritual component. I will tell you that it is my opinion that uh, I don't know how one recovers without it. I would like you to talk about that a little bit from your own perspective. And I'm very, very careful about the way I talk about this because, you know, we do know that this is not something that just hits the Christian population or the Catholic population or the Protestant population. This is something that has no discrimination between what religion or spiritual uh, practice you have. But let's talk about the key component of going through recovery with that spiritual component and why this is about love and loss. Sure. Um, when it comes to, you know, I, I certainly have a lot of experience um, in, in walking the recovery walk, um, be that as it may, you know, good or bad. It's just it's just the way it is. And so, um, pardon me for a moment while I gather my thoughts. This is such an important, sure. um, such an important question here. With the experts, the guys with AA, man, that's when you go to the hospital, when you have a near-death overdose and they realize you are an addict, there's no hiding it, you need help, you need treatment, what do we do? We, we you know, the, the gig is up. They send you to rehab. And in rehab, the treatment is, you know, group, group therapy with AA, essentially. Okay, yep. those are, that's what the medical professionals, the doctors, the experts, that's what they have to offer. And that's, honestly, it's wonderful. Um, that's a huge part of, of, of getting sober and, and getting back on your feet is the community, the 12 steps. And they do absolutely agree with, honestly, us when it comes to the spiritual dynamic because Bill Wilson, who started AA, had a spiritual encounter that, that set him yeah. free from, you know, really radical experience. I encourage your listeners to look into this. The, the founder of AA, Bill Wilson, had a, uh, a really spiritual encounter while he was in a mental institution. He was, you know, they, medically speaking, they gave up all hope on him. He was completely delirious and, you know, had gone off off his rocker um, on alcohol. He was just an alcoholic and, and was in a mental institution. Um, you know, he was a war veteran, decorated World War One hero, and he was afflicted with this disease. They didn't know what to do, and long story short, he has this ra radical spiritual encounter in the mental institution, and he founds AA. He gets sober. He gets his sanity back. He writes the, the, the book on the 12 steps, and there's now, you know, a global fellowship on it. They have a chapter dedicated to, um, <clears throat> you know, the spiritual 
dynamic um, largely called, um, it's largely about the spiritual dynamic called we agnostics. Now, yeah. a lot of addicts are atheists, okay, and they don't want to hear about the spiritual stuff um, for, you know, whatever reason. And we agnostics goes into detail about how it is so important, you know, if you want to get sober, um, it could only hurt to reach out to a higher power, you know. There's, with without help, we're going to die of this disease. For us, it's really severe. You know, we're not addicted to coffee here. We're, we're, we're killing ourselves with, with living a double life with, with, you know, drugs, with alcohol, and we really need help. And it can only, it, it can't hurt to reach out to uh, the possibility of there being, they call it a higher power, you know, God, mm-hmm. whatever you want to call it. Um, yeah, I, I mean, that, I think they're really clear about this being the God of your understanding. They are, yes. right? Which means you get yes. to choose it. Yes, yes, and so they're they're very encompassing, welcoming, um, kind of, like I just said, all encompassing of any any spiritual belief. You know, I, I've worked with Muslims, Jews, Christians, mm-hmm. atheists, people who scorn recovery. Pro- I mean, on down the line, and it's just a part of uh, the process. Is you know, taking it seriously is the key, and um, you can really see tremendous results. I'm sure you can uh, attest to that as well, Dr. Pat. Yeah. You know, one of the things we're going to talk about is how seriously important this is. And not only that, you know, what is it we want to know about Nicholas's book, One by One? You know, what is it that the message for today has to do, what is it about the message that has to do with saving lives? Saving lives in many ways. And for those of you out there, um, if you really want to get the skinny on Bill W., you can Google uh, Bill W. and Carl Jung. Because one of the very little known facts about this is early on, very early on, it, it was Carl Jung who didn't get credit until Bill W. wrote him in 1961. But it was Carl Jung early, early on that said, I am not able to help this person. This person is going to need a spiritual experience. And why is it that Carl Jung, one of the greats of the greats, you know, this Swiss psychologist and psychiatrist, what was it about himself that said way back that alcohol was the equivalent on a low level of the spiritual thirst of our being for wholeness expressed in medieval language, the union with God. Carl Jung, the craving was the equivalent of that. That's why today's conversation goes beyond how to hold back on prescriptions written. This is about Let's understand what a possible pathway could be for people to restore hope in their lives. Let's take a short break. Is traditional medicine not working for you? Do you still feel as if your health isn't 100%? Here at the Holistic Medical Center, Dr. Nushin Darvish and the qualified staff look through the dimensions of wellness and start a healing plan prioritized to your needs. Our physicians assess the whole you until complete health is achieved. Get the help you need by visiting drdarvish.com or call 425-451-0404. Have you lost a loved one and would desperately love a sign to prove that they are okay? 
here's a tip for you. Be curious, keep an open mind about everything. The proof will come from the most unlikely places. The messages promise to challenge your current beliefs in what you've been taught. Accept and appreciate all, no matter where they come from. I'm Angie Corbett Kuiper. I would love for you to share your signs from beyond on my closed Facebook page, Beyond Grief. Are you ready to create a life you'll really love? Then you'll want to tune in to the hit show Life Design Radio from Adversity to Awesome with Susan DiLorenzo. Live each month on TransformationTalkRadio.com. No matter where you are in your adversity story, Life Design Radio has got you covered. Get ready to feel inspired, enlightened, and motivated. For more information about working with Susan, visit SusanDiLorenzo.com. Tune in to Lucid Planet Radio with Dr. Kelly Neff. This hit show will illuminate your senses and empower you beyond your daily stressors and hardships. Renowned psychologist and author Dr. Kelly will captivate you with far-reaching topics and amazing guests as you wake to the greatest version of yourself. Learn to tap into your intuitions, think critically about our world, heal emotional and psychological wounds, and follow your passions to live your dreams. The Lucid Planet. Welcome home. Visit lucidplanetradio.com for more information. Have you heard the story of the snake and the rope? One evening, a young woman was walking down a country road. It was growing dark. Suddenly, she froze. Up ahead was a coiled snake. She was terrified. She reached into her bag for a flashlight and directed the beam of light towards the snake. Now she was flooded with relief. It was just a piece of old rope. That snake stands for all our imaginary fears and insecurities that sap our confidence. The beam of light is conscious confidence. Ask yourself, how many snakes did I see today? How many actions or words did I stifle through fear? Hi, I'm Sarah Main, creator of Conscious Confidence. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Pat, for Conscious Confidence Radio on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Learn more about how you can live a life filled with conscious confidence. Go to my website, ConsciousConfidence.com. Well, welcome back. Welcome back, everyone. One by one, a memoir of love and loss in the shadows of opioid America. Nicholas Bush joining me here as the author Benny, let's go ahead and give a copy of the book away, if we could. Um, 1-800-930-2819. 1-800-930-2819. Nicholas, I want to talk a little bit about the book and what's in it. Take us on a, 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 a brief journey of not just about what you wrote about, but what the message is you wanted to convey, because you pretty much don't hold back. Right. And... I don't know how to hold back. You know, the guy you're talking to was a completely different person. I was, um, you know, into, into drugs and a criminal for about 10 years. And um, I, I don't think I could go 10 words without swearing. I didn't talk much. I didn't really, um, you know, have many friends. You know, I was just a mean guy. And I was um, kind of shaped by my environment growing up as a kid. I got in a lot of fights and just, and so my book is about how it's, it's just the journey I took once I started using drugs. You know, once I turned to drugs at 14, uh, I didn't, I didn't uh, think much of it. Um, it just kind of was the way life was for me. And, um, you know, that it, it really is just a really brief backdrop on my childhood and then the journey of 
the 10 years I spent going to, you know, in and out of jail, like I mentioned earlier, Dr. Pat on your show and losing my mm -hmm. brother and sister to drug overdoses, um, three other friends to drug overdoses. Two of my other friends were shot to death. Um, one of them during a, a drug deal gone bad and the other at a, a late night bar, um, fight, you know, gangs were involved and, Mm -hmm. um, my life was really just this, just this wild, crazy tale. And, you know, how can you hold back when you've lived, uh, a life like that? And so my book really does take the, the reader on a wild journey of what it's like to be, um, an addict, you know, how somebody ends up a heroin addict, an IV heroin addict using heroin every day and just into that life. Um, and more importantly, Dr. Pat, and I really want to talk to you about this, is how yeah. I was able to come out of it and become yeah. the man that I am today. And, you know, I said earlier I had a baby last night. You know, my wife is inside in the hospital. And um, Congratulations. Just, thank you. Thank you. you know, I just, I just have such a changed life that I live now, and I, I owe it to the experience that I've had with, um, with recovery, you know, what I've found during this whole um, process, this whole journey. Um, is something that I want to share with the reader. It's important to share it because unless you've been down this pathway, right, it is very difficult for the general public to understand what the journey to recovery is like. And, you know, it, your story is more than compelling, right? Because not only did you go down the pathway of uh, addiction, but the consequences that are associated with it. See, there are consequences, Nicholas. And, you know, while it's hard for us to talk about those, you know, how do we help people rise up beyond that? Because if we can't instill hope in people and, and really demonstrate that besides your past and the things that you identified with, know that there could be a future. Isn't that what your book is about as well? Yes, and that is, it's, it's I'm, I'm loving it. That's exactly what I was about to mention, Dr. Pat, because I don't care who you are. I don't care where you've been. I had lost all hope. I knew I was going to die. I knew I was headed to prison. I would wake up in the morning and say to myself, maybe today's the day. And, um, and I meant it. And, um, you know, at one point, I was just so afraid of being rounded up by the police. I was hiding in my parents' basement. They didn't know I was there. Going from utter hopelessness, um, mm -hmm. no, fut no future, no chance, you know, huge long criminal record, you know, where just nothing going for me, completely addicted to heroin, um, mm -hmm. you know, active investigations open, headed to prison. And here I am to tell you that, you know, I've made it out. And, 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 and you know, there is, it can be overcome. Any. You, you can find, okay, your, your spiritual center to the point where uh, you, you can overcome anything, okay? It doesn't have to be just addiction. And that's the real message, okay, behind my book. I, I, gave, you the, I gave you the Christmas present earlier there, but, uh, you know, there's yeah. just some swell details, let me, let me tell you, that I've written. Uh, it really is a wild journey, okay? And, and you know, I'll, I'll share uh, one of those details with you right now. Please. Is, um, you know, after my sister had passed away, she was a model in Europe, as, as I mentioned, um, a pre-med student at Madison, Wisconsin. And, um, <clears throat> you know, she struggled with shingles disease, which is a nerve pain condition. Very rare in young people, but it happens. And so she kind of hid that 
from everybody, and she became addicted to opioid medication and um, was kind of shopping around with that, ended up doing, you know, heroin apparently and died, and no one knew she was into this stuff. She came to me six months later after she died in a vision when I was homeless and strung out on drugs, and she told me to love Christ. And, and you know, as I mentioned, I had lost all hope. I knew I could die today, and, and I, I just accepted that. And the next thing I know, my, my sister, who had just passed away six months ago, um, shows up and tells me to love Christ. And that's what set me on my uh, path that has led me to um, freedom. Freedom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, uh, well, I mean, this is really the story you hear time and time and time and time again. Um, and we hear it over and over again. We hear it in terms of... Um, and we are, we mostly are hearing it from this country because, by the way, in other countries, for example, in India, um, women uh, women that drink, let alone women that drink and use, uh, they are completely unacceptable, as is in most other countries. So right. the United States really has a population which absolutely knows no difference. You know, you could be from a religion that uh, your practice in another country would not allow you to talk about addiction and recovery. And so for those folks here in the United States, it's hard for them to be able to show up and get help. They're really the unspoken population of addiction in this country. If you are either Catholic or Christian, so to speak, the world is open to you to step forward in recovery. And I think that's really the difference. You and I can only talk about those religions or spiritual practices where people are allowed to come forward and say, I need help. We have millions of people that are not in a position to do that in different cultures in this country. So when we talk about a crisis, we're not even representing an appropriate number. We're only talking about a crisis of what we know. You know what I'm saying? I mean, how many people, Nicholas, did you know that couldn't come out about it, period? You know, it it really is an epidemic, and the numbers that, that are provided, there's no way that that's accurate because we're dealing with a problem that's so hidden. Just, you know, as you're talking... I'm thinking of um, of, all, of all the people that I've I've met. You know, we're, we're mentioning you know faith, different faith circles here. And, yeah. Um, you know, I've met people in in the church that um, just tell me flat out they can really relate to uh, the things we're talking about, even though mm-hmm. you would never guess. You know what I mean? And um, so many people are are falling through the cracks. I would I, I could share yeah. my opinion. That's a good term. It's, no, it's, that's a good term. You're really hitting the nail on the head here. Um, and um, as far as, you know, having faith and spirituality being a dividing thing, you know, that is so backwards. I just want to say right now that um, yeah. no matter what faith you're from, we're all human beings. And mm-hmm. um, if you, even if you don't know what you believe or you don't care, you know, we, we all need love and, and need to give it. And um, mm-hmm. when it comes to addiction, it's like so prevalent that... Um, that we're aware, you know, of, mm-hmm. of the spiritual component that we're um, that we're discussing, and I want to thank you, Doctor Pat, for having me on to do just that. 
Yeah, I, it's got to be talked about. I mean, I use Carl Jung as, uh, what, 1934 or something like that. Jung, 33, 34. You know, the very first case that was pointed towards Bill W.'s way was a case where Carl Jung couldn't help them through psychological means. And yet today, we are still trying to help people through psychological and psychi psychiatric means. And honestly, if a Carl Jung couldn't do it, I don't understand in today's world how much smarter we may have gotten to realize. You know, in my own profession of psychology, one of the things that uh, for me, once I finished school, I had to look at was, uh, am I going to practice this without being able to practice um, a spiritual component? And now the doors have opened up wider. But when I graduated in 01, you know, came to the state of Washington, I couldn't do that. You know, so I wouldn't have been able to see people and add like meditation, right, <laughs> or a spiritual component. And many of my colleagues walked away from psychology, especially at the Ph.D. level, because we knew better. See, this is what you're talking about. You're talking about a knowing that could save lives. And yeah. I work and pray that psychology and the field of psychiatry catches up to this. You know what I mean? I do. And um, <clears throat> it's it's the spiritual dynamic, honestly, that I, I, th I think you're saying the same thing here, which is uh, science has known for a long time that there's a spiritual component involved, yet it's really unable to... Um, sort of put it in a, in a pill and give it to you to take it, it. Free will is involved here. We have to recognize that we as human beings need to stop being so judgmental of others. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's the Chris, it's the Christmas season. Yeah, it is. <laughs> and, um, mm -hmm. and so I just want to touch again on, on the, um, dynamic of, of spirituality, you know, mm -hmm. with, with that, I think it's a lot of people view it as, as stepping on, um, stepping on toes and things like that. It's kind of a controversial topic, but um, it's it's one of those things where it's really how you look at it. I think if you want to see, you know, if, if you're Muslims, you whatever, um, in that doctrine, there really is, you know, a heart behind it mm -hmm. to like love others and help others. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And, and I think that's the, that's the perspective everyone needs to have when it comes to, you know, mm -hmm. normally I, I would take a step back here or whatever. It's like, okay, this is, uh, a deadly disease that we're facing, like a like a wildfire. You know what I mean. Thankfully, mm -hmm. in California, that's that's um, you know they're getting some weather out there to put that out. That's been yeah. that's been awful. But you're but, right um, about it. Yeah, Nicholas. Here's what you're right about. Addiction mm -hmm. knows no boundary when it comes to religion, socioeconomic status. It doesn't. I got to ask you this question because I've I've actually been called out a little bit on it. Um, sure. Why is it, do you think, that we're just not calling it what it is? And let me let me tell you what I mean. Um, we use the term opioid, right? Mm -hmm. But we're starting to look at that, not we, but organizations that count things are starting to look at it. And it seems like opioid, right, the term opioid, which comes from uh, a, a, it's no mistake, opium, opioid, right? But yes, yes. are we confusing people with it? And let me tell you what I mean. Um, it sounds as if if we call it opioid, it may not be or sound as serious as if we called it heroin. 
I don't know. What do you think? Are we confused about it? Are we trying to confuse the public? No. I mean, why are we just calling things what they are? I do. In my book, I call it government heroin. It's sought after more than heroin. <laughs> the government makes better drugs than that are what are what's available on the street, and yeah. money to answer your your question in a nutshell. Mm-hmm. And we've got to admit um, that when it comes to hearing about these epidemics and you know all this stuff, if if it's something that you just really can't wrap your head around, look, we're facing um, a monster here. That mm-hmm. honestly, I don't know if if they're. <laughs> If it, it's so big, you know, there's so much money involved that we could go up and up and up and out and out and out. And we're getting into, you know, world conflicts and things like that, discussions about why there is an epidemic and um, getting to your question with, you know, why don't we call it how it is and call it what it is and just say what's going on. I, I think, you know, in my book, I, I title it one by one because this huge problem that mm-hmm. that's got all these facets to it it's got to be faced. It's got to be addressed on an individual level. And that's, that's where we as individuals, as, um, you know, addicts, people in recovery have to focus and put our efforts. And of course, you know, society at large will change, um, as, as individual opinions, as individual lives begin to change, you know, society at large will definitely follow suit. You know, things will happen. We'll have changes in, in the judicial system, um, things like that. But, um, you know, money. We're facing a huge monster here. We've got to, yeah. um, we've got to unify. We've we've got to be aware of of everything we've been talking about, honestly, and in combating this evil of of uh, this opioid yeah. epidemic. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, let's talk a little bit. I know that we've got a uh, you know little few few minutes left here. One of the sure. things that that we should should really talk about is educating ourselves, educating our kids. And then educating our, um, you know, our adults as we get older, right? I mean, we absolutely need to look at what are we really talking about? Clearly, the National Institute on Drug Abuse does a fairly good job at coming through and saying this is what it is. In any event, people have a really hard time going from, I went to the dentist and I got a prescription, And now I'm addicted. And that's not the way it happens. There's like a step missing, right? But we're not talking about the step. We're not talking about, you know, the step that says, I finish my prescription and I somehow magically got from my local neighbor more pills. There's that missing piece that we're not talking about. And I wanted to ask you about this from your perspective. It seems like we want to point to the doctors that write the scripts. Now, of course, you have to get like an act of Congress, right, to, to, for any lengthy thing that goes on with that. But aren't we missing something here between I got a prescription from my dentist and now I'm homeless? I mean, isn't your yeah. book, doesn't your book yeah. share that gap? Because if we don't get the gap, we're not going to be able to stop this, even when the doctors stop giving out prescriptions. So what you're really talking about is um, wholeness um, that a person either has or doesn't have. You know, as it's it's possible to live with feeling like there's something missing and you don't know what it is. And you, you know, you try a drug at a dentist office, like you said, or whatever party and you find that it fills that hole for you and you just desire that feeling and you can't shake it. And it turns into, 
a behavioral disease, a mental illness. Mm-hmm. Um, and so really what we're treating is that, that emptiness. A lot of experts um, like yourself, Dr. Pat, have talked about how it's trauma-related in most cases, and I'd have to, you know, I can relate to that. Um, it's, it's, I, th- I think, once again, this is kind of where you get into that spiritual dynamic, and it can be a little bit frustrating kind of trying to nail down and articulate uh, what's behind the method of making a, a, a drug addict. You know what I mean? Like why people are the way they are. But I think one thing we can know for certain is that community and fellowship <clears throat> really helps a person, and it can it can stem the problem early on. Being open and honest, you know, mm-hmm. about these things with our loved ones, and um, and not seeing you know, AA or NA or, or a church group mm-hmm. or some kind of fellowship devoted to sobriety and helping people in recovery, that needs to be encouraged, okay? That's that's a central part of how medically this problem of addiction gets treated, and I think that'll continue to do a lot of good, okay? And, um, mm-hmm. and well, I, doesn't that the, really, the, though, point to ahead. the fact that those, those programs, whether it's AA, NA, any of the A's, they really have to take a look internally at what their guidelines are as to whether or not they're going to reach out and do some outreach. Look at the the 2017 uh, trend. You ready for this? I thought hallucinogenics were like gone since like I grew up. Here's the deal that's happening. 12th graders, 6.7% of 12th graders are using hallucinogenics. What? What? I'm looking at these statistics, it's, right? Five percent LSD. Yeah. This yeah, thing I'm, is so far out of control. If we don't look at what you're talking about, and that is the whole picture, right? I mean, as growing up in a crazy time to grow up, many of us knew better. Are we doing enough? to educate people on this, because I've looked at these statistics, right? And, you know, uh, ages 26 and older, Nicholas, 17% of the population, hallucinogenics, 10% LSD, PCP, 3%. People might be saying, oh, that's not a lot. 17% of 26 and older, we're not even talking about that, right? And hopefully what you've written in your book and your outreach and the shows you're doing and the television things you're doing, maybe you can put at least temporarily, get the attention of folks to say, you got to look at all of this going on. I mean, I want to get back to something else you said. I know we got like three minutes left. What do you make of the legalization of marijuana? I know that's three minutes left. I don't give you enough time to say, but (laughs) yes or no. I mean, how many stories do we have to hear that start with that? Right. Sure. And that's, that's a great question. And, you know, I I could talk about that for an entire hour, but (laughs) uh, to give you a succinct answer, I I would say, I wish it didn't exist. I wish the hair, the opioid opioid epidemic didn't exist. I, I wish these were things that we as a society didn't have to deal with, but, you know, it's not something that it is, you know, and it's it's not something that really scares me too much because um, mm-hmm. the way it's been coming into um, 
legalization and stuff like that. It's I think it's being done well, and even though I yeah. don't agree with right. it, yeah. it's it's being yeah. done in such a way that you know doesn't scare me. Um, yep. I think it does have some medical purposes, but if you're going to do this, and believe me, the United States and Canada, they're, they basically have already done it and they're doing it. Yep. You've got to educate, okay? And you've yep. got to let the public know, like, hey, if you, if you don't watch it, like, this could lead to something deadly. Um, and just because it's becoming recreationally legal um, doesn't make it necessarily a good thing, you know? And... Um, the last thing I'll say will it will it um, will it affect the numbers of the opioid epidemic with with le- marijuana legalization coming into play? You know, I hope so. I don't know mm-hmm. if it'll be a long term solution. I-, I hope so. Anything mm-hmm. that'll help that, I-, I hope so. But um, yeah. that remains mm-hmm. to be seen. We'll have to wait and see. Nicholas, thank you so much. Please tell folks how they can find out more about you and how they can get a copy of the book. The book is One by One, A Memoir of Love and Loss in the Shadows of Opioid America. This book, by the way, folks, is a must-read. Bring it into your homes. Bring it into your family. Please share it. How can they find out more about you? Um, If you want to get my book, you can check it out on uh, Amazon, One by One, A Memoir of Love and Loss in the Shadows of Opioid America. It's also at Barnes & Noble. Wherever books are sold, I'm also on Facebook. You can talk to me personally, Nick Bush, Nicholas Bush on Facebook. I'll be happy to chat it up with you. Yeah, thank you. And yeah, I did mispronounce the title, A Memoir of Love and Loss in the Shadows of Opioid America. I just, my brain is already past America. You know what I'm saying? But thank you. (laughs) It's okay. No, thank you so much. Thank you, Nicholas. And please keep on going, man. Don't don't stop. Don't stop. Happy holidays to you. You too. I love it. For those of you out there, um, you will hang on to every word Nicholas has written in this book. Uh, Please get a copy of the book. It is amazing. Find a way to share it. Find a way to help your fellow friends and family through his journey. His loss and his love were for all of us so that we can help others. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for doing what you all do so best. You're the best listeners on the planet. We've got more coming up on Transformation Talk Radio. And please find out more if you've missed any part of this. Go to TransformationTalkRadio.com. Listen to the archive. We'll see you next time. Preceding audio was via a Skype call.